You're here. I'm here, and so are you. You're not here by accident, neither I, neither am I. So I look at it this way. God's got something to say to you this morning, right? Right? All right, listen up. And I think we need to have that attitude every time we come and open up the Bible and read anything. God, you got something to say to me. So I want to be open. Thank you for my stool. Or if I need it, I'll just sit down and whatever. I'll go as far as I can go this morning. Oh, my goodness. I hardly even know where to start. Oh, I need to start with a commercial. Does anybody beside me hate commercials? Does anybody beside me mute commercials? Please don't mute this one, okay? Here's my commercial. Everywhere I go the last many, many years, I bring with me boxes of a book entitled A Life That Matters. This is an incredible book that can help change your life and make you better equipped to share Jesus with the people in your sphere of influence. These are $10. And I tell people, if you buy this book, if it doesn't set your heart on fire, your wood's wet. And I tell people, if, you, if this book doesn't help change your life, I'll give you your $10 back. I don't do that anymore. The church will give you your $10 back. (laughs) That's how I've changed it. I've had people from all over the United States call me and say the best thing you ever did was encourage me to buy and read this book. They're on the back table, all right? One guy this week bought 11 of these to give out as Christmas presents. Okay. Now... With what little strength I've got left. Oh, one last thing. Also on the back table as you go out, I put together a little uh, insert. How to get into spiritual conversations with people. Anybody need help with that? This will help you. Take one of these. We all have, if we've come to faith in Christ... We have a salvation story. But we have other stories. We've got answers to prayer. We've got answers for how God has encouraged us when we really need encouragement. Say, yes, Jerry. We've all got stories. I put together something about all the different stories that can help you be effective in sharing Christ. They're on the back table when you leave. Take one. I'm going to have someone go out and check the cars when you leave. If they don't see this book and one of these, I was going to say we're just going to sniff you down, but... We started this morning, the first song we sang this morning, what was it? 
What? Change my heart, oh God. Because isn't that the bottom line? It's a heart issue. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. You can change your behavior and never change your heart. Right? Your kids are good at that. I've learned that. There's a lot of things you learn when you raise three boys. And they can be obedient. You want them to be obedient because they love you. Rather than if they're not, they can't drive the car this weekend. See what I'm saying? Nobody knows our heart like he does. We're not kidding anybody. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Now, what I've been doing the last 26 years, driving all over the western part of the United States, trying to help and encourage people to get out of the salt shaker and into the world and make a difference. Some of you have heard me say this before. The man that wrote this book, every day when his kids went to school and they walked out the door to go to the school bus, he'd yell at them, go mad, every day. One day a neighbor came over and said, you know, it bothers me. I've heard you yelling at your kids, go mad. And the guy said, well, my kids know what I mean. M-A-D, make a difference. Every day I walk out of my door, help me to order to make a difference. So say that to your husband when he goes off to work. Maybe he's mad already, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Say that to your kids. Maybe they're mad already but maybe they'll learn a whole new thing. Go mad, you guys. I went to a high school of almost 3,000 kids. Not one kid ever brought up Jesus to me. I wish they would have. You'll never have more opportunities. And you do. Those junior high, high school, college years. Now, I can already tell you what I'm not going to do. I've got two passages of scripture. One of them, I even did more work on it this week. And I am loaded for bear. We could be here till four o'clock this afternoon, but I've shortened my two-hour message. It's only going to be an hour and a half. No, it's not. It's going to be short. This is going to be the shortest I've ever spoken before I run out of gas here, I can feel it. All right. Before Jesus went back to heaven, what's the last thing he said? What's the last question Jesus asked before he went back to heaven? Don't look it up. Trust me by faith. John 21. 
Jesus said to Peter three times, Class, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because Peter went back fishing in chapter 21 of John. Remember that? Some of the disciples said, we're going with you. And what's Jesus saying? What's he reminding Peter of? Peter, I called you into the people business. Now get back at it. The only thing going to heaven is people. Duh, right? So that's when we need to make an investment in people. That's been my life since I came to faith in Christ. Easter week, my freshman year in college, 67 years ago, I just turned 87. I don't even buy green bananas anymore. I'm living one day at a time. That's right. And uh, I, can't, I tell people I can't see anymore, I can't hear anymore, but praise God, I can still drive. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep at it as long as he keeps me going. So if you told Jesus that you already sang about it, oh, how I love Jesus, all of you sang it. Somebody said, isn't it amazing how something you heard 40, 50 years ago will come back to your mind? I'll never forget that one time a guy said, it's easier to sing a lie than it is to say one. Ooh. I know what you're going to say to your pastor this morning. Where did you find him? <laughs> okay, the it's their fault, down in the front row. So anyway, uh, question. If you told Jesus this morning you love him, do you think he's impressed? Ooh, ooh, wait a minute. Jesus, I love you. Is he impressed? He is. Where did I put this? When I share his passion and partner in his mission, he knows I love him. Did you get that? Do you know what the greatest joy in the Christian life is? Well, I'll tell you mine, and then you can maybe, I wish you could tell me yours. What's the greatest joy in the Christian life? Another sermon? Another Bible study? Another whatever? No. The greatest joy in the Christian life is knowing I've made an eternal difference in someone's life. I can give you this right up to date. I just flew home from Phoenix. They canceled my flight when I got to the airport. So instead of coming home in two hours, it took me 12 hours to get home. And three changes of flights times. 
Jesus fouled up my whole day. But before that day was over, I ended up sharing Christ in my life and my testimony with four different people that day. And a 25-year-old gal sat next to me on the plane, my last leg of my journey from Seattle to Spokane. The 25-year-old gal sat next to me. She lives in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She works in Liberty Lake, Washington, where I live. I'm just five minutes from the Idaho border. And before the day with that end, that Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I invited her to go to church where I go when I'm not preaching somewhere. She met me there. We had a coffee and a roll after church. And I shared how I came to Christ. She realized that that was a need in her life. And she sat there at the table there with me in the restaurant and trusted Christ as her Savior. Do you think that excites me? To make an eternal difference in somebody else's life. When you get to heaven, how many people are going to say to you, thank you for inviting me here? Now look at me and tell me you still love me. I'm not through yet. This is where we live. And I've spent my life helping people with this part of their walk with God. I'm going to do this till the day I drop. And it's getting close. I'm sniffing glory now. I could sell my birthday cake. The candles cost more than the cake. (laughs) All right. I've got two passages of Scripture for you. I don't think I'm going to get to the second one because I've done some extra work on that. And if your pastor gets brave enough to invite me back, I'll give you the second half of what we're doing this morning. I know what some of you are thinking. Don't say it. All right. Go quickly with me to Matthew chapter 9. Oh, I tell you, I can't tell you how God has used these two passages of Scripture in my life. It's just thrilling for me. All right, I'm reading now. Listen up. Matthew 9, I'm on the last four verses of the chapter. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in the synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, here's what I want you to get. Now, listen up. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, that's us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, pray. It's a verb of command. Ask, pray the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
All right, now look up. That's our passage. We know it well. When you hear the word harvest, what do you think of? What Just that word, what do you think of? What? Picking something or whatever, yeah. I drove a truck for wheat harvest a couple of times. I worked on my uncle's farm in high school last two summers of high school in Montana. Harvest, everybody's working. The time is short. And there's a sense of urgency. Should that describe every life sitting here? Is the time short? Do you wonder if we're going to get any crazier than we are now? Time is short. All of us are working. All of us are working with a sense of urgency. Did I just describe all of you? All right. Now, how did that come about? Now, listen, I'm going to summarize this passage this way. Some of you write notes, some of you don't. Some of you, I just praying you stay awake this morning. Here's how you can summarize what I just read. Jesus is saying, I want you to see like I see. I want you to feel like I feel. And then I want you to do what I did. Now follow me. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That's how he saw people. So when he saw Nicodemus, when he saw the woman at the well, when he saw the little IRS agent up in the sycamore tree, when he saw all of these people, what did he see? You dirty, rotten sinners. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. How do I see people? When I came home from golf that day in Oregon, never forget this till the day I die. I drove by a high, big high school. And I'm sitting there in a long red light, and there's about 20 high school kids standing on a corner. I looked at those strange creatures. I still can't get over the kids buying clothes with holes in them. I can't get over that. Just for just you guys, I'm 87, okay? I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. The guy that lives across the pavement from me, Bob, he is covered from head, his face, his arms, his legs. He's covered with tattoos. And then when I was at the high school, watching these high school kids, one of them walked away from the group. 
He had a ring through his nose. It went all the way underneath his chin through his nose, and he's eating potato chips. You know what I thought? Well, I can't tell you everything I thought, but but it just hit me. Just another sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if anyone's ever going to tell that kid that somebody loved you enough to go to the cross for you. And that changed my life. I used to be, Jerry, I'm just being off flat out honest with you. Many, a lot of years, early years of my Christian life, man, I was judgmental. Man, if they didn't fit my box, I wrote them off. And if they didn't look like I wanted them to look and smell like I wanted them to smell, man, I just wrote them off. Man, has God changed my life. Because every day of my life, I'm looking at sheep without a shepherd. The kids that sit next to you in your class, sheep without a shepherd. The all-star second baseman on my baseball team in college. I prayed for him for three and a half years. And the night before I graduated, he trusted Christ as his Savior. And I'll never forget him saying to me, thank you for investing three and a half years of loving me and praying for me. And every time he was in a hitting slump, He'd come over in the dugout and put his arm around me and say, pray for me. Three and a half years, the greatest part about my graduation was not that stupid certificate or whatever they gave me. I don't even know where it is anymore. It doesn't matter. But I invested three years in a kid's life who's going to be in heaven for all eternity. Did I make a good investment? How we do in class? You should see my people I'm praying for. God, it's it's just so awesome. So you got the first part of the passage? How do I see people? How do I see them? Sheep without a shepherd. Who's going to tell them about the shepherd that loves the sheep? Even went to the cross for the sheep. That's us. And then he said, all right, and why did he, when he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he felt compassion for them. All right, now are you following me? How do I see people? Sheep without a shepherd. How do I feel about people? Class, how do I feel about people? I'm filled with compassion. Why? Why, class? I see them helpless, hopeless, hurt. There's a lot of hurting people out there. There's a lot of people with no hope. That's what I love. Oh, this is so awesome for me. I tell people all the time. If I don't wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to be with Christ forever. 
What a hope, huh? You know how many people don't have that hope? We've got a hope worth living for. We've got a hope worth dying for. And we've got a hope worth suffering for. Don't we? And there's a lot of, there's 200, somebody said there's 200,000 people today somewhere in the world suffering for their faith. And Jesus felt compassion because I see the wells they're drinking from that never satisfy. Don't we? Look at them out there. And that's why he was filled with compassion because he saw how hopeless they were. Do you feel that? And I know that's one reason why God is using me. I've got people that love me and pray for me every day. Do you know what I pray every day? Jesus, bring people into my life that I can touch for you today. Jesus, bring people into my life where you're already at work. They just need to get hooked up to somebody like one of us. Amen? Well, that's weak. Amen? Yeah, yeah there we go. We're going to get hooked up to one somebody like one of us. Lord, help me poke a hole in somebody's darkness today. I love to pray that, don't you? And then watch God use me. I've sh- I'm the, I'm the, <laughs> I am basically the chaplain at my bank. I love to go into my bank. You know how the one, two, three, four girls, the second one over, I led to Christ about four years ago. Now everybody in the bank knows Jerry. So now I, <laughs> anyway, and now the owner, I mean the manager of the bank, the last time I was in there, she's a Buddhist. And I walked into her office and sat down to talk with her and walked her through how I came to Christ. So I'm praying for her at the bank now. But I've been in there quite a few times. And I'll never forget when I walked out of the bank that day, she gave me a big hug. And she said, Jerry, I love you. She hasn't come to Christ yet. But I know that God is using me in her life, just nudging her along. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Look how many people come to church, take up 18 inches of real estate, get their ticket punched, come back next week. Isn't that exciting? No, what's exciting is I'm making a difference out there all week. Then I can come and get excited about what I'm hearing this morning. So I see people different. And I feel different. And I'm doing and then what Jesus did. He saw them. He felt compassion. He felt them. And then he got involved in their lives. And started watching God work 
and then we read all these Bible stories. I love the Gospels. Anybody beside me love the Gospels? I'll bet I read part of the Gospels. I've probably read part of the Gospels, some part of them, almost every day for the last 20-some years. I love that. So here we are. And that great hope we have, that's what's I can't get over. Nothing more thrilling for me than our incredible hope. Because, you know, why fear death? Everybody's going to live forever. There you go. You took the words right out of my mouth. You've heard that, haven't you? Everybody's going to live forever. The only thing that matters is location, location, location. Where are you going to be? Can we talk about that? Can I help you with that? Oh, I, I have so much fun with people. I just, I have fun with people. I wish you could just be in my car with me for a week. You wouldn't believe the things I say to people. <laughs> you would, you would be surprised. Well, I got more to say about that, but I, I've, I've said enough with that. Okay. At least at this part, at this where we are right now, look at me and say, so far, I've got that, Jerry. Good. Good. We see. We feel. We do. Just write those words on that passage. Now, you're never going to forget that passage, are you? Are you? No. Yeah, amen. See, you. whoever said that, I'd, I'll come back just to listen to somebody say, I got that. All right. Here we go. All right, what? Okay, I'm just trying to... Oh, I'm an Egyptian mummy pressed for time. Uh, what? I... Oh... Well, I wasn't going to do this. Um, okay, now I, okay, now I am. I just changed my. If I got at least five more minutes, just okay. You guys, okay, go to Luke with me, quick. Oh, I love the. Oh, yeah, I did some new work on this this week. I'll never get through it. I'll do half of it at least. So okay, just some of it. Go with me, would you please, to Luke chapter five. Oh, I love this. Oh, I can't tell you what this passage has meant in my life. Tell me you're there, Luke 5. Just hang with me now. You're doing good, class, so far. You know, what I like to tell people, if you're tired and want to slip off to sleep, that's okay. That's okay. Just come up here in the front chairs. There are all these empty chairs there in front. Just come on up and lay down. That's okay. I take it as a compliment if somebody goes to sleep in my sermons. It's a compliment, you know why? I take it that if they go to sleep, they've got confidence that I'm not going to preach any bad doctrine. So they, got, they can go to sleep. Now, there's another reason why they might go to sleep, but he wants to talk about that. Okay, quickly to tell me here in Luke 5. This is a story you all know. Oh, if you, I've got pages on this. Okay, I'm just, if I look at my notes, it's not because I don't know what I'm saying. It's, I'm trying to look to see what I'm going to leave out. 
Okay. Uh, well, let me read a little bit first. One day, Jesus was teaching. He was in a home in Capernaum. I've been in Capernaum twice, by the way, right on the edge of the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, my first boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, we had a tremendous storm, and the people on our boat were scared spitless. Do you think Scripture came alive to me that day? <laughs> there were people with small children that were crying. They really thought... The guy driving our boat thought he was going to lose all of us. All right, now, Jesus is teaching in a home in Capernaum. Pharisees and teachers of the law, underline that, you wouldn't think that's important, it's very important. Oh, man, what I read about that this week, I got a whole sermon on just that phrase, so we'll squeeze that in someday. Boy, someday for me is close. (laughs) Pharisees and teachers of the law, they came from every village of Galilee, from Judea, as far as Jerusalem, and they're sitting in this house in Capernaum. Now, you don't understand how far the religious leaders came, these scribes and Pharisees. Why? They followed everywhere Jesus went, and this was the first part of what they did. Watch it all the way through the Gospels on how many times they followed him. And every time he's teaching, they're listening And they're listening with that critical, bitter spirit trying to catch him in something that he's going to say that violates one of their traditions and one of the Mosaic laws. That's why they're there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Stop right there for a minute. I was going to bypass that. The reason I'm reading Luke's account is because Luke's the only one that says this comment. The power of God was present. Can you imagine being in that home so packed you couldn't put another body in that that home? The place was electric. Isn't that the way church ought to be? Now, watch this. Some men came, four of them. Four men came carrying a paralyzed man, paralytic on a mat, and they tried to get him into the house and lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to get him in the house because of the crowd, they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof. Now, most of you have ever seen a picture of this. Many houses in Bible times, they had a stairwell 
stairwell on the outside of the house that went up to a flat roof. Because the, And that's where they found, after the scorching heat of the day, that's where they'd go in the evenings, many times. Many homes were like that. So all these four guys couldn't get their friend, their paralyzed friend. They couldn't get him to Jesus. So they could have gone home and said, well, maybe we'll check in. Maybe next month he'll blow through town again. Not these four guys. They went on the roof. They went up on the roof. Lowered his mat through the tiles. They started peeling tiles off the roof. Big enough to where they could lower the guy down in the press. Can you tell, tell me you're picturing this? Could you imagine us sitting here this morning? We're hearing some noises. We're seeing a little dust falling on some of us. Most of the dust fell on those Pharisees. Those critical Pharisees sitting there. Their little silky robes. You can just see them. That hole got bigger and bigger, and they lowered Jesus. These four guys lowered their friend right in front of Jesus. Tell me, if you were in that home, would you be impressed so far? And they went up on the roof, and they lowered him through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Underline this in red like you've never read. Underlined another verse of scripture. And when Jesus saw the faith of the four men who brought their friend and lowered him down, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. Stop. Look up a minute. What do you think he was going to say? Our paralyzed friend. Heal him. And Jesus stood there and the first thing he said, your sins are forgiven. Why, class? The greatest need in every life is not healing. The greatest need in every life is that we're forgiven. Amen, Jerry, right? Amen. Our greatest need. And that's why what a message we have. You're loved and forgiven. It's available. You want it? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's a reminder to us that that's the greatest need in every life. We take him to the cross and what Christ has done. Don't get off on all the bunny trails. Stick with the most important. And here's what I've got on my page here. This paralyzed man was wealthy. You know why? 
because he had four friends that would pay any price to get him to Jesus. Question, class? You got the names of some people in your life that you'll pay any price to see them come to Christ? I prayed for my dad for 53 and a half years. And I helped him come to Christ before he died. I flew back to Maryland and did his memorial service. He left us when my twin sister and I were four years old. I went 65 years and only saw my dad four times. But I got connected with him the last few years of his life, which that was a miracle too. But I never let go. And I've got people that I dearly love. And I lower them into the presence of Jesus every day in prayer. Got people like that? The people that you lower every day in prayer? Oh, God, open up their heart. And if they live, and so many people, family people that I'm praying for, I pray God bring other people into their lives. I'm the answer to a lot of people's prayers with all the people I'm talking to. But oh, I just can't get away from this simple concept. Lord, who are the people I love enough? to lower him into the presence of Christ and pray that you'll use me and other people to help them come to faith in our Savior. And by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to charge you for this thought, but you know what I did with this prayer here? You know, Lord, not only the people that I'm praying, God, use me in their life. God, you know, help me to... These are the people I'm praying to you'll use my life to help them come to Jesus. You know what else I uh, I thought of? I never thought of it before, but I started doing. I asked a few people, would you pray for me every day? Would you pray for me every day? That you, that God would powerfully use my life and that he would take my life and use it for his glory and that you would pray that God would bring people into my life that I can touch for Jesus and that you'll use me in a powerful way in people's lives. Will you do that for me? So I've got a group of people every day that pray that God will use me in a powerful way every day in people's lives. Question, class, is he answering those prayers? Amen. You got some people praying like that for you? We'll start with one and maybe add two and then watch God work. That was love. That's the word.
You know what the next word for this passage? Conviction. What's the conviction? These four guys knew that Jesus was his only hope. Period. There's no other way. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. You've all memorized that, haven't you? Along with what? John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. There is no other hope. Do you believe that? That's their only hope? Okay, well, if that's your conviction, boy, what a difference that makes. What I want to share with you, your only hope. And I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth. My conviction is Jesus is the only That's Jesus is our only hope. And then faith. I love the faith of these four guys. Their faith was persistent. Keep at it. Their faith was creative. Lowering them through the roof. You think that was a little creative? And their faith was sacrificial. Time, labor, expenses. I'm supported like a missionary. I've got 15 people to send me a little money every month. And I can give them a tax-deductible receipt even. But these 15 people are what I've been doing for 26 years. They're the reason I've been able to do what I do. Do you think God's blessing them? Praying for me every day? Sending a little bit so I can keep going and doing what I do? I've got two missionaries that are working with Muslims and refugees. I send them a little money every month. I love writing that check. I love it. Because I've got a map in the front seat of my car where they are. And every time I got a red light and sitting getting every time I got a long red light, instead of getting in a gross state of carnality. I look over at my little map and start praying for these two missionaries that I help support. Love, conviction, and faith. That summarizes this part of the chapter. And then, after his sins were forgiven, Jesus said, Rise up and walk. And he went home. He went home glorifying God. What do you think his family thought when he arrived home? Paralyzed for years. Full body strength. Every muscle in his body too tuned up. Can you, what do you think they said? Hey, mom and dad, I'm home. Now, I don't know if he was married and had kids. We don't, this passage doesn't tell us that. But he went home glorifying God. 
And that's what we do every day of our lives, don't we? Don't we? He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, go out there and make a difference. Are you glad you came this morning? Am I glad I made it to the end this morning? Thank you. Thank you. I'm serious. I made it this morning. God gave me an extra. I didn't think I was going to make 10 minutes this morning, but here I am. Now, I think if I rest this afternoon, I want to spend from four to six, from four to six, two hours tonight. I've got some, a bunch of other stuff I want to help you with tonight. Four o'clock, can you make it? And we'll have a great time together. If I rest, <laughs> we'll have a great time together at 4 o'clock. And uh, I'm delighted and thrilled that you're here this morning. Now, before I pray and we have the Lord's t- table, question. Has every one of you sitting in this room Have you made a conscious, willful choice and ask Christ to forgive you and to be your Savior? And you know why I said that? Because I went to church for 20 years. I believed it all up here. Believed it all. Didn't change my life. But I believed it all. And a lot of people think, well, I believe that stuff. That's not what I'm asking you. Do you believe all that stuff? I'm asking you, have you made a conscious, willful choice and asked Christ to forgive you and to be your Savior? Have you done that? You're sure about that? Okay, don't you dare leave here thinking, well, I hope so. Okay, let's pray, and then we're going. I'm an answer to prayer. You have no idea what an answer to prayer this is that I finished here this morning. Now i got to rest, and we'll go back at it at 4 o'clock, okay? Okay? We'll come after you if you don't show up. Okay, here's what I feel led to do. I'm going to pray a short prayer. And if you've never prayed a prayer like this, or maybe you've got some doubts, or I'm not sure, or it's fuzzy, come on, let's drive a stake in the ground and settle this issue. So I'll lead us in prayer now. And would you be willing to pray this prayer with me? If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, would you pray with me right now? Silently in your own heart. I'm not going to embarrass you, not out loud. But you pray with me as I pray, would you? Let's bow bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And right now, In my heart, 
I'm asking him to forgive my sin and be my Savior and guide and direct the rest of my life. And then a second prayer for all of us who have, we know that we have done this. Oh God, pray. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to feel and the will to respond to those you bring in and out of my life. And Father, I pray that all of us will have a phenomenal month of December as we celebrate the birth of our Savior and as we buy up every opportunity to tell people the true meaning of Christmas. Thank you for our time together in your powerful name. Amen. Okay, one last thing I'm going to ask you. Because I go home, you know, you might never see me again. I'm some, some of you are thinking, that not too bad. Any of you willing, stand up, just sit back down. Just stand up and sit back down. Did any of you pray that first prayer with me today? Anybody here do that? You're willing to stand up, sit down. Just That's an indication. Okay. Okay, you, you, you made my whole day. God bless you. You know why I asked you to do that? Because if you won't stand up here, you won't stand up out there. Anybody else? You chicken livers? Okay, awesome. That's awesome, man. Isn't it great? Now, I've got two more sermons for you. If your pastor ever gets brave enough to have me back, okay? Lord bless you guys. We'll have the Lord's table now. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you know, I'm more thankful today than any of you sitting here.